Item number SCP-3125 Object Class Keter Special Containment Procedures SCP-3125 is kept inside Cognito Hazard Containment Unit 3125 on the first floor of Site 41. This containment unit is a 10 meter by 15 meter by 3 meter cuboidal room clad in layers of lead, soundproofing, and telepathic shielding. Access is through an airlock system at one end of the containment unit. This airlock is programmed to allow only one person to enter the containment unit at a time, and to remain locked until this person exits before allowing another person to enter. Under no circumstances may any coherent information be allowed to leave the containment unit. This includes written and electronic notes, photographs, audio and video recordings, sound, electromagnetic and particle-based signals, and psi emanations. During the exit cycle, a purge system rigged to the airlock flushes the occupant's memory by flooding the airlock with amnesic gas for three minutes. A senior anti-memetics division staff member must visit SCP-3125 every six weeks, or 42 days. End of file. kidding me? That's the whole entry? That's the whole entry. It isn't even the 50th strangest thing Paul Kim has seen in the database, but still. No description, no acquisition report, no test log, no addenda. No clue who built the unit or when or how many times it's been visited, or who carried out the previous visits or what they even took in with them, how long they were in there. Well, obviously Bart Hughes built the unit. Wheeler says, and this cannot be denied, the man's signature style of containment architecture is recognizable a mile out. Sleek, white, plainly impregnable without the aid of extremely heavy tools. Which makes it at least seven years old. That's... 60 visits or more. I guess there are good reasons for the rest of those omissions. Anyway, the time a watchdog says it's time again. I don't like the idea of you routinely exposing yourself to a cognito hazard so dangerous that we can't even write the reason why we can't write it down, Kim says. Especially because it's impossible for us to recover any usable information this way. You're going to go in, be incommunicado for two hours, and coming out a smiling amnesiac. And what do we gain from that? It's just a breach risk. Wheeler hears every word of this and elects to ignore it all. There's a vague shape of familiarity about the entry as written. There are a few word choices which reassure her in an intangible way, that it was written by someone who knew what they were doing, quite possibly her. 
Kim still talking. We should just scrub that last line from the database entry. There can't be anything good in that room. Wheeler puts her keycard in the slot. The airlock rewards her with green LEDs and begins the cycle open. It's built as a slender vertical cylinder with a single opening. The entire thing rotates on its axis. Inside, there's barely room for a single person to stand without their shoulders touching the walls. What are you taking? Kim asks. Wheeler ducks to step in, turns to face him, and shrugs. A stick of gum? I can get you field gear, Kim says as the airlock begins to rotate again, emitting a low, quiet thrum, solely as an audible warning that there is machinery in motion. We'll raid inventory. Give me fifteen minutes and I'll turn you into a one-woman war. If Wheeler says anything in response to this, it's cut off by the soundproofing as the airlock rotates. Kim is left alone in the antechamber. He stares at the outer door for a worried moment. He presses his ear to the door for a while, but hears nothing. Not even a faint tremble from the airlock mechanism. Inside it's pitch dark for a few seconds. Then, some unseen sensor detects Wheeler's presence and brings the fluorescence up. Half of them, anyway. The others remain inert or flicker aggressively. The room's interior walls are made from milky white glass, bulletproof knowing hues, and plastered with paperwork, taped in blue tacked up in vaguely coherent masses. Where there were no paperwork, people have drawn directly on the walls in marker pen. There is a conference table, long and elliptical, covered with more paperwork and a tangle of laptop computers and serpentine power supply cables. Power has returned to the machines, and they are slowly booting. A data projector warms up and shines a map of the world over the far wall, almost lining up with a network of scribbled annotations on the same wall. Post-it notes of all colors litter the carpet like autumn leaves. Other than that, the room is empty. Skimming the paperwork, Wheeler discovers that nearly all of it's handwritten, and most of it's charts the progress of conversations. Most of the entries are dated and signed, and most of the dates are weeks apart. The conversations are panicked and fearful back and forth about dozens of SCPs, some of them anti-memetic in nature, but none of them obviously related to one another. None of the notes mention SCP-3125. The only name Wheeler recognizes is her own which appears on 1 in 10 or 20 of the notes. The notes seem authentic, and the handwriting is hers, but her notes also seem as desperate and uncertain in tone as everyone else's. This unnerves her. There are diagrams on the walls too, which are too complex to decode at a glance, but 
complex enough to make her eyes hurt to look at them. Still lost for logical entry point to the data, Wheeler curses all of her predecessors. Asynchronous research, whereby the research topic is forgotten entirely between iterations and rediscovered over and over, is a perfectly standard practice in the anti-mimetics division, and her people ought to be better trained than this. There should be an obvious single document to read first, which makes sense of the rest. A primer. Marion, it's me. Wheeler recognizes the voice as her own. She moves around the table until she finds the laptop making the noise. There's a video playing, apparently recorded on the laptop's own camera in this room. The Marion Wheeler in the video is seated, and looks unfamiliar in a way which takes the one watching a moment to put her finger on. Not exhausted, not sick, not physically injured. She's seen herself that way before. In the mirror, this woman's willpower is gone. She's beaten. You've guessed already that SCP-3125 is not in this room. In fact, this is the only room in the world where SCP-3125 is not present. It's called inverted containment. SCP-3125 pervades all of reality except for volumes which have been specifically shielded from its influence. This is it. This is our only safe harbor. This room represents the length and breadth of the war. Every competent anti-memetics research project finds SCP-3125's fingerprints sooner or later. It manifests all over the world in thousands of different forms. Most of them aren't even anomalous. Some of them we already have catalogued separately in the main database. A very small number of them are even in containment. Impossibly virulent cults, broken arithmetic, invisible spiders as tall as skyscrapers, people born with extra organs which nobody can see. That's the raw data. Those manifestations are troublesome enough to deal with in their own right. The wheeler in the video casts around, picks up a bright green felt tip pen and a blank piece of paper. She begins drawing a shape which isn't visible from the camera's perspective while still talking. But once you get a little further down the road, you start to see a pattern emerging in the data. You need to have the training in memetic science, but once you have that training and you have the data in front of you, it only takes a little extra effort to arrange those data points in conceptual space and draw a contour through them. Those data points are points on SCP-3125's hull. Those manifestations are the shadows it casts on our reality. You link four or five different SCPs together into a single shape, and you see it, and it sees you. She's still drawing. It's detailed. She doesn't look up, and her tone of voice is distant, 
almost as if she's narrating the tail end of a frightened children's story. When that happens, when you make eye contact, it kills you. It kills you, and it kills anybody who thinks like you. Physical distance doesn't matter. It's about mental proximity. Anybody with the same ideas, anybody in the same headspace. It kills your collaborators, your whole research team. It kills your parents. It kills your children. You become absent humans, human-shaped shells surrounding holes in reality. And when it's done, your project is a hole in the ground, and nobody knows what SCP-3125 is anymore. It is a black hole in anti-memetic science, consuming unwary researchers and yielding no information, only detectable through indirect observation. A true description of what SCP-3125 is, or even an allusion to what it is, constitutes a containment breach and a lethal, indirect cognito hazard. Do you see? It's a defense mechanism. This information-swallowing behavior is just the outer layer, the poison coating. It protects the entity from discovery while it infests our reality. And as years pass. The manifestations will continue, growing denser and knitting together, until the whole world is drowning in them, and everybody will be screaming, "Why did nobody realize what was happening?" And nobody will answer, because everybody who realized was killed by this system. Do you see it, Marion? See it now. Wheeler. Is at the core of the foundation antimimetic science. She had all the raw data readily accessible. There are extensive written calculations on the walls, but she doesn't need to read them. She could do them in her head. All it took was that slightest push, that slightest suggestion. Staring through the laptop screen, eyes wide and defocused. She understands how it all links together. She sees SCP-3125. She feels dwarfed by it. She's encountered terrible, powerful ideas before, at every level of mimetacy, and subdued them or even recruited them. But what she's picturing now. Is on another order of magnitude from what she knew to be possible. Now that she knows it's there, she could feel it like cosmic radiation, boring holes into the world with its thousands of manifestations and freely laying waste to anybody who recognizes the larger pattern. It's not of reality, not of humanity. It is from a higher, worse place, and it is descending. The other wheeler presents her finished diagram. She has drawn a mutated, fractally complex, grasping hand with five-fold symmetry. It has no wrist or arm, just five long human fingers pointing in five directions. At its core, 
there's a pentagonal opening which could be a mouth. But the diagram was already there. It's plastered across the wall in the background of the video. Plain as day. A meticulous collage in green. Easily two meters in diameter and showing the same meme complex to a hundred times the level of detail. There are smaller diagrams of different elevations arrayed around it like spores, and its arms are spread wide around the seated wheeler, who sits directly in front of the mouth, with her back to it. Wheeler, watching, does not realize this, and does not turn around. How do you fight an enemy without ever discovering it exists? The wheeler in the video asks, How do you win without even realizing you're at war? What do we do? Seven years ago, there were more than 400 anti-memetics research groups worldwide. Government agencies, military branches, private corporations, university projects. Many of them were GOIs or subdivisions of GOIs. We were allied with most of them. We were at the spearhead of an anti-memetics coalition which spanned the whole globe and thousands upon thousands of people. None of those groups still exist. The last one ceased to exist sometime in the last 72 hours. Three years ago, Foundation Anti-Memetics was an organization of more than 4,000 people. Now, it's 90. There's no war. We've lost the war. It's over. This is the mopping up operation. The only reason we still exist at all is because we have better amnesthetic biochemistry than anybody else in the world. Because that's all you can do when you see SCP-3125. Run away and try to forget what you saw. Seek oblivion in chemicals or alcohol or head trauma. And even that can't work every time. It's circling in. We meet it over and over again and we don't realize it. There's no way we can stop ourselves from rediscovering it. We're too damned smart. She points at something on the wall, out of view of the laptop's camera. Wheeler, watching, turns to look. In an upper corner of the room, there is a constellation of dizzyingly complicated schematics. Bart Hughes' initials are on every page. There's a machine we could build. All it would take is eight years, a lab as big as West Virginia and all the money in the world. Nothing that the O5 Council would blink at if we went to them, but how do we build that machine without any of us realizing what it's for? It would be like building and launching Apollo 11 without a single engineer deducing that the moon existed. The logistics would be insane, but the secrecy would be well past impossible. Someone would start asking questions, and then it would be over. So what do we do? Find another way. What the hell is wrong with you? I could tell everybody to walk away. 
I could even send a little message to myself saying, "There's danger down this road. You should disband the anti-memetics division and pursue other projects." But I'd be suspicious. I'd start asking questions, and then it would be over. Wheelers now crouched in front of the video, trying to understand what she's watching. What's wrong, Marion? Are you okay? I could kill myself in here, but my team would find SCP-3125 without me, and then they'd have to fight SCP-3125 without me. It's going to happen soon, whatever happens, in the next two months at the most. This year, it will be over. I may die in here anyway. I'm on so many amnestic drugs that my endocrine system is shutting down. Taking amnestics at the same time is the chemical equivalent to trepanation. I don't remember the last time I slept without having a nightmare about Adam. I'm starting to forget whether SCP-4987 is a real thing, or just the number that I gave my life. You're not like this. You're stronger than this. What happened to you? Who's Adam? I don't know how we survive this. I don't know how we win. We're the last ones in the world. After this, there's nobody. Wheeler shakes her head, not believing it. So I'm done. I'm going to walk out of this door and forget who I am, and then I'm going to be you, Marion, and you will have to figure a way out of this because I can't. She gets up and moves off screen. She can be heard breathing deeply. Her speech is starting to distort. God, my eyes hurt. I think I'm starting to melt inside. There's the sound of a door opening, and then a piercing pulse of sound and light which terminates the recording. Wheeler stares at the dark screen for a long minute. She's never seen herself so weak, and it damages her ego a great deal to see that it's possible. She feels disconnected from what she saw, like it happened in an alternative universe. She feels revulsed and appalled by that version of her, more so to know that that version is still inside her somewhere. It doesn't make sense. I'm looking at all of the same facts. What made her give up? What did she know that I don't? Who was Adam? The answer to this question is so obvious and sickening that she instinctively distrusts it. She circles around the answer, probing it, trying to find a reason to reject it, but it's inescapable. Adam was someone she knew when the video was recorded, now completely removed from her memory. Adam was someone the thought of whose safety paralyzed her with fear. Someone in the same headspace, someone she couldn't bear to lose. And then, she lost. But, what if... But how'd the room get built in the first place? Anybody's guess? Wheeler imagines Hughes building it as a proof of concept, followed by a cascading series of lucky chances which led to it becoming the war room. Someone discovered SCP-3125 at random, while sealed in the room. 
They wrote notes to themselves, which set up the skeletal external SCP database entry and the containment procedures. Most of the paperwork and computer hardware was left behind by later visitors. It could have happened. But what if there's another room? Unbidden, a cute factoid comes back to her right then. Site 41 is almost completely vacant. In particular, 200 meters below Site 41, there's an empty, heavy engineering lab. An underground complex the size of a hockey stadium. Self-contained in pristine condition. Totally disused. Sealed up. Original purpose forgotten. Nobody has entered it in living memory. Built. Who knows how many decades back, by a dead generation of anti-memenicists. What if that's where we built our weapon? Do I really believe I'm that smart? That my team and I had that much foresight? That we got that lucky? She turns to look at the airlock, running the numbers in her head. Anti-memetics division staff, other than me, 38, 42 days, until the next iteration. That's past the end of the year. It'll be too late. If I leave this room now, I will never be back. The plan I have now is the best plan there's ever going to be. We're the last ones in the world. After us, there's nobody. Kim is so deeply buried in work at his terminal, and the airlock is so quiet that he almost doesn't notice when it starts the cycle open again. We need to check you for notes, he begins, but then he sees that Marion Wheeler is curled up in the bottom of the narrow cylinder, panting as though she just finished a marathon run. Kim holds a hand out, but she shakes her head, electing to stay laying down, knees bent up to her chest, sucking down lungfuls of air. What in the world happened in there? Kim asks. Just need to breathe. Be okay in a second. Oh, I think I blacked out for a moment. Might have inhaled some. Oh, I think I'm okay. I remember the plan. Kim looks confused and worried for a second. You shouldn't be able to remember anything. What did you do? Hit my head, Wheeler says, then goes back to concentrating on breathing properly. She suddenly becomes acutely aware that Kim has her effectively cornered. Disliking this configuration for reasons which she's only gradually putting back together, she levers herself up to one shoulder and tries to stand. Kim puts a hand on her shoulder and pushes her back down. No, you look terrible, he says. There's something in, in your neck. Do you see that? He points at her throat, then taps the same spot on his own. What? On your neck. I've... You've been infected by whatever was in there. We need to act quickly. He reaches for his keyring and unthreads a Swiss army knife, 
and unfolds a short, gleaming blade. He does this in such a methodical, ordinary way that Wheeler almost forgets to react when he leans down towards her to cut her throat. Almost. She grips his wrist. They locked like that for a moment. A tableau. She looks into Paul Kim's eyes, but it isn't his eye anymore. She squints, wondering if she's making eye contact with anything but a hole in space. She already feels the force bearing down on her own skull, trying to drill into it, but she knows its shape, and that means she can hold out. Maybe for a few minutes. She had hoped and prayed that Kim would not succumb so quickly. And in a crazed little way, she thought there would be at least a sign. A theatrical doubling over as his mind was wrenched out of its socket. Kim's wrist spasms as he tries to lunge with a knife. Wheeler parries and its tip glances off the airlock interior wall with a screech. They scuffle for an awkward second. Then she boots Kim in the stomach with both feet, sending him sprawling into the antechamber. She launches out of the airlock, dives over him, and sprints away from the containment unit. She feels SCP-3125 following her as she runs like a spotlight. She hears a crash in another part of the site as the first piece of ceiling caves in. Your last first day. Marion Wheeler is curled in the corner of Site-41's main freight elevator, descending clutching a shiny red ray gun, almost as long as she is tall. The gun has two prongs instead of a barrel, and its shock is a weirdly asymmetrical mass of pipework, more like a Swiss watch or a small intestinal tract than a weapon. The gun is SCP-7381, and it comes from a long-dead planet. Not too distant a planet, when all said and done which conventional astronomy has yet to observe. A tornado of violence and destruction is tearing through Site-41 and through the minds of everyone working at Site-41. Ceilings are being brought down. The Site Pharmacy is a sucking hole at the side of the building. The armory is buried. And that's why she had to go through Area 09 and is now toting anomalous weaponry instead. The anti-memetics division operatives she meets in the corridors are all broken, some of them curled up in raving while their minds evaporate and they die one memory at a time, some infected with a collection of ideas which compel them to shout guttural phrases and strange languages and to procure blades never guns, and on those demented victims, and each other, and themselves. Wheeler doesn't recognize any of the people. Their faces are all wrong, 
torn up with hatred and misery and vindictive glee. She's been trying to avoid fighting, but she's had to kill one man in self-defense, fired at his heart. SCP-7381 simply erased a half-meter wide cylinder of matter, removing his upper torso and lower jaw. He fell to the ground in four pieces. SCP-7381's beam is invisible, silent, and recoilless. It was like using a child's toy gun. Wheeler is petrified, but more than that, angry. This is too much, she says out loud, willing her heart rate back under control. I can't deal with this. I shouldn't have to deal with this. It's my fucking first day. But how much sense does that make? Wheeler studies her reflection in the dark glass of the elevator control panel, and she tours the interior of her own skull, examining her thought process. There are hints there, which would be difficult to articulate to someone who didn't know her as well as she knows herself. She isn't thinking like a newbie. She's instinctively breaking the problem apart, the way an experienced Foundation operative should. Hell, a newbie wouldn't even know how to carry out a detailed psychological self-examination of this kind. A newbie wouldn't even think of it. A newbie would just suffocate. The first thing it did when it saw me, she explains the hurt reflection, was eat everything I knew about the Division, and everything I knew about it. If I had a plan, it ate the plan. But I'm still me, so I can come up with that plan again. It's already right in front of me. I just need to see it. If I were me, what would my plan have been? She scratches absently at her left wrist. Taking some hardcore monastic drugs would have been a smart first step, I guess. Reinforcing my mind so that it can't erase the rest of the steps. Damn. The nearest source of domestic medicine is the site pharmacy, but it's already been destroyed, and in any case, the elevator is headed down, away from it. No, stop. The pharmacy's been destroyed? How do I know that? Well, because she was there, she remembers finding the pharmacist crushed to death beneath a fallen medical cabinet, her skull an unrecognizable splatter of scarlet. She remembers the floor being torn away beneath her feet, and only barely making it out of that portion of the building alive. She remembers a modular package colored safety orange, with an enormous black Z on it, her heart nearly stops at this. Oh God, what did I do? She remembers the dozens of warning signs covering the package. She remembers the three-factor authorization procedure she had to follow to get into the sealed container where it was stored. She remembers the centimeter-thick book of medical advisory information, which she discarded, and rolling her left sleeve back, she finds a fresh needle mark with a speck of blood, and remembers administering the injection. This was my plan? This is what it takes to fight SCP-3125? 
I've killed myself. Class Z nemestics are the last word in biochemical memory fortification. Class Z nemestics permanently destroy the subject's ability to forget. The result is perfect, idiotic memory and perfect immunity to arbitrarily strong anti-nemestic interference. The result is perfectly eidetic memory and perfect immunity to arbitrarily strong anti-nemestic interference. The dose is taking effect now. Wheeler didn't read the book because she already knew every word of it. She knows everything that's about to happen to her. She can already feel her mind hardening like steel, and the developing symptoms of extreme sensory overload. She can see everything. There are extra buttons on the elevator control panel, the lowest of which, the thirteenth floor below ground level. She is somehow already pushed. The walls of the elevator are covered with graffiti scrawled by the desperate and dying, peoples whose conceptual presence was. Eradicated from reality years earlier by the Alistair Gray anti-memetic kill agent, reducing them to the level of ghosts. In one corner of the freight elevator, there is even a half corpse, unidentifiable. So many layers removed from reality that not even flies can smell it. Its cells winking out of existence. Over the course of years, there was a fistful of tiny white worms exploring the floor of the elevator car, near where she's sitting. Revolted, Wheeler shuffles back from them, shaking one or two more of them out of her hair. The worms are among the most widespread and successful anti-memetically cloaked organisms in the world. They're everywhere, in every biome, in every room. She can hear a long, alarming drone noise, a continual roaring, which has the texture of ambient noise and is gradually getting louder. It's as if it's been there for her entire life, and it's only now that she's begun to hear it. It's too much data, too much sound, too much light. Having her eyes open is like jamming them full of needles. She clamps her hands over her ears and screws her eyes up. Even like this, she feels the vibration of the elevator's slow descent and the heat of the failed air conditioning and the movement of her clothes on her skin. And meanwhile, her vision is flooding instead with what could be hallucinations. The human sensorium routinely generates huge amounts of data, and the human brain is adapted to discard almost all of that data nearly immediately. Altering the brain's behavior to retain that data is extremely dangerous, even for very short time spans. Wheeler takes one hand away from her ear, just long enough to punch the metal wall of the elevator car. Bloodying, two knuckles. The pain gives her a focal point, 
a memory which screams a little louder than the rest. And she finds the plan. She doesn't remember it. She bootstraps it from first principles in a handful of minutes, just like she's done a hundred times before. I know how to beat you. No. SCP-3125 says to her, You don't. The elevator stops at the 13th floor below ground, and its doors grind open. They wait open for a long time. Further up the elevator shaft, there are distant rumbles or more parts of Site-41 being reduced to crumbs. Still, crouched in the corner, Wheeler mutters, SCP-3125 doesn't have a voice. Of course I do. It replies, SCP-3125 is a five-dimensional anomalous metastasized mass of bad means and bad anti-means and everything in between seeping through to our physical reality. It isn't coherent and it isn't intelligent. It can't communicate. This is an auditory hallucination. SCP-3125 scoffs. You know what I hate most about you, Marion? You're consistently, eternally wrong. And yet, you're still alive. All those lost battles, every year of that entire lost war, but somehow you always cobble together enough dumb luck to walk away unscathed. The eternal soul survivor. You don't deserve that kind of luck. Nobody does. While it's talking, Wheeler leans hard on the ray gun to get to her feet. She lodges one shoulder against the wall of the elevator car, still, with her eyes closed. She braces herself and opens her eyes. The corridor ahead is empty. There's an airlock at the far end. This one, large enough to drive a truck through, built from ultra-toughened white metal alloy in Bart Hughes' established style. There's a panel beside the airlock. She closes her eyes again and hobbles forward, using the ray gun as a crutch, stretching one hand out ahead of her as guidance. Someone has to be lost. Someone has to be the best. Your team is dead, SCP-3125 says. Their minds have been pulled out like eyeballs. They're hollow people, with holes in space where their brains were. The war is over. Finally, it's just you, Marion. A division of one, dying from domestic overdose. Two hundred meters underground. Cared for by no one. Known to exist to no one. Up against an immortal, unkillable idea. Wheeler reaches the airlock and fumbles blindly with the panel until she finds the slot for her keycard. After a few seconds, it seems as if nothing is happening. Then, a yellow light flashes. The enormous mechanical interlocks unlatch, and the door cycles open with all the fuss of a flower's petals unfurling. Noise. Hughes always held, is a symptom of imperfect engineering. Behind her, 
She hears the freight elevator close up and return to ground level, and she knows that someone has summoned it, intending to pursue her. Ideas can be killed, she says, stepping into the airlock. How? With better ideas. As the airlock cycle closed, so does the hermetic seal. SCP-3125 is shut out. If something can cross over from conceptual space into reality, taking physical form, then something can cross in the opposite direction. It must be possible to take a physical entity, mechanically extract the idea which it embodies, amplify that idea and broadcast it up into conceptual space. A bigger idea. A bigger idea one designed specifically to fight SCP-3125. An ideal. A movement. A hero. The machine Wheeler needs to build is the size of an Olympic stadium and she doesn't have a fraction of the heavy mimetic engineering experience to do it, let alone the material resources or the time. She knows. Someone taught her. She doesn't remember who. That an anti-mimetics division operative is as good on their first day as they're likely ever to be. And the same must be true of the division as a whole. She tells herself, We won this war on the day it began. When we encountered SCP-3125 for the first time, we built this bunker. Bart Hughes faked his death and sequestered himself here so he could work uninterrupted while the rest of the division held on for as long as humanly possible, buying time for this moment. I know this is what I did because it's what I would have done. I'm the final component. He's waiting for me. The space beyond the airlock is gigantic, structured and lit like an aircraft hangar and filled with hot, stale, dry air. Wheeler, still mostly blind, stumbles forward an expanse of more than a hectare of flat, dusty epoxy flooring. Hughes! She shouts into the void. It's time! Nothing comes back but the echo. She glances up for a second. The space is empty. The castle-sized mimetic amplification-slash-broadcasting unit which Bart Hughes was meant to be building is absolutely absent. Hughes himself is absent. Maybe the entire machine is anti-mimetically cloaked? She wonders momentarily. It would be a smart way to conceal the operation even from the rest of the Foundation. But her brain is curdling in the strongest monastic drugs ever manufactured. There's genuinely nothing here. Almost nothing. At the center of the space there's a small outpost, a group of trestled tables with tools and toolboxes scattered about the place. Parked behind it is an unmarked military truck with flat tires. On the back of the truck is a squat, squarish machine the size of a shipping container, with unshielded wiring and exposed pipework 
and a long cable leading to a heavy-duty control panel on the floor. To the untrained eye, it is not at all clear what the machine is designed to do. It's the anti-mimetic equivalent to a hydrogen bomb. The division's answer to a site nuclear warhead. Activated, it would contaminate Site-41 and everything and everyone on it with anti-mimetic radiation. There would be no Site-41 and no division afterwards. Nothing any of the escaping infectious staff did could have any effect on the real world. It's the wrong machine. It can't destroy or contain SCP-3125 or even injure it. All it can do is sterilize today's outbreak. The other symptoms will persist. 50 or 10 or 5 years from now, or maybe 1 year or maybe tomorrow, SCP-3125 will return, bringing with it its MK-class end-of-world scenario. Human civilization will be entirely eradicated as an abstract concept and will be replaced with something unimaginably worse. There will be no one to fight it. Wheeler lays there on the ray gun for a long moment, the pressure of information in her mind continually increasing, reaches a point where she can't take it anymore, and she starts to break. The Class Z has been in her system for long enough now that she knows for a fact she has irreversible brain damage. There is no antidote. She'll be lucid for another hour, then spend the remaining two or three hours of her life vegetative. That's right, she thinks. It's almost a relief. This is good. This is right. I've survived too long. I forgot what universe this was. For a while there, I thought maybe this was the universe where we win sometimes. The agony in her head is like an ice axe now. She drops the ray gun with a clatter, sinks to her knees, lies down, and waits for either death or a better idea. A being, superficially resembling Paul Kim, arrives at the outer airlock door. It examines the airlock uncomprehendingly for a few moments, then finds the keycard slot. It hunts methodically through Kim's pockets, then remembers the keycard around its neck. The airlock cycles once more, and, not Kim, goes through. Behind it, the freight elevator is returning to ground level a third time to fetch the rest. In the next room, the being which is not Paul Kim finds Wheeler, unconscious, with the ray gun dropped beside her. There is also a military truck, which it disregards. Not Kim lets its keycard fall from its fingers and scoops up the ray gun. For a moment, it contemplates the unconscious Wheeler, then examines at the gun itself, remembering how it works. It turns back to face the airlock and fires, punching fat 
cylindrical holes in the white metal of the inner door until it's gone. Then, the outer door too, breaching the hermetic seal. A faint smile returns to Not Kim's face as SCP-3125 and its familiar, comforting signals flood into the bunker. A dozen more non-people are arriving by freight elevator, former anti-memetics division bodies. I found her, Not Kim calls out to them. It drops the ray gun where it's standing as if it simply forgot that it had been carrying anything, and pulls out its knife again. It holds the knife between two fingers, in a casual, off-hand sort of way, as if it were a pencil or a screwdriver. The infected non-people gather with not Kim around Wheeler, looking down at her with alien expressions of disgust or pity or even malice. Why isn't she opening up properly? Someone asks. She can't meet them unless she wants the signals. Start with her eyes, someone else says. It'll make the rest of her easier to correct. Not Kim leans down to start work, then hesitates. It's knife a few centimeters from Wheeler's eye. She's whispering something so quietly that it can only hear her clearly. None of this happened, Paul. You and I never existed. There is no anti-memetics division. There's a sharp click as the bomb finishes its powering up sequence. Nobody in the room can hear this but Wheeler. Nobody in the room can perceive the bomb but Wheeler. All they can see is an empty truck. The world goes black.